You're listening to The Lively Show, episode 129. Welcome to The Lively Show. I'm your host, Jess Lively, and this blogcast is designed to uplift, inspire, and add a little extra intention to your everyday. Welcome to the show, guys. I am so excited to talk with you today. Today's episode is sponsored by HomeChef.com. To give Home Chef a try and to get a free meal for two with your first purchase, go to homechef.com backslash lively and enter the code lively at checkout. At the end of this episode, I'll be speaking with Jimmy Madla, the executive chef at Home Chef, about the service. Now let's move on. Before I get into our questions for today's episode, I want to do a quick shout out for the vlog, the video blog that I have started over the last several weeks. I think I've mentioned it maybe once here in the show or twice, but if you haven't heard about it, go check them out. The first one's all about my favorite things in Ann Arbor. The second one is about my Portland trip, which honestly, I just really, really love the Portland episode. Definitely go check that one out. And the third most recent episode as of this airing is the part one of my Chicago trip. As I keep traveling, I will definitely keep vlogging, including my trips and travels in Europe. And I'll also be excited to start adding more episodes on other subjects based here in Ann Arbor in my daily life as well. It's been so cool to see you guys get so excited for this. This has truly been a passion project for me. It's something that I have enjoyed watching people like Mimi and Alex Icon do for several months, if not maybe a year now. And to be able to do it and share my life or pieces of my life with you has just been this really fun totally joyous and pleasure-filled experience. So thank you guys for listening or watching in this case. You can check them out on the blog at jesslively.com slash blog, and you can also see them on the YouTube channel. Now let's move on to the questions. We have many today, so let's dive right in. Number one, Antonella Frash asked, do you play any instruments, Jess? If not, which would you choose? Great question, Antonella. I am not the most musical person whatsoever. My family was definitely all about the sports growing up, so I was not really encouraged to do much when it comes to music. The only instruments I know how to play are the recorder based on my third grade experience, and that's about it. If I could choose one, I always thought that I would be the clarinet if I was in band. My best friend growing up was a flute player, but I always felt like the clarinet was my spirit instrument if I was to play one in band. Moving on, we have Coolio Girl asked, what are your processes for choosing and reaching out to potential Lively Show guests? I basically go with my gut in terms of what I'm working on, what I believe needs to be added to the conversation when it comes to topics and subjects out there in the world. In addition, I also look for suggestions from friends or other people that have been on the show and submissions that you guys submit. So if you would like to submit a guest or a topic for the show, you can do so over at thelivelyshow.com by clicking the big black button banner box that has the submission details. We get hundreds of submissions, so that's where I keep everything in one place. It's truly really sweet when people email me the submissions, but it's way too much for me to keep track of. So the submissions folder is how we make a system out of what otherwise is pretty chaotic. Now we have Brittany Vickland who asked, how do you structure a day and a week with the variety of priorities that you're balancing? 
This is a really great question and something that has been kind of an evolving thing in my own life. The first thing that I do is I have the productivity planner that is created by Alex Icon. So at the beginning of the week, I will have a call with my chief of business mojo, VK, on Fridays, and we'll have a call talking about what we're working on in the weeks to come. And I will use whatever deliverables we're having to get out there, whether it's working on the new program I've got coming up in April, or if it's the lively show, or it's the vlogs, we'll talk about what's the priorities and what I need to be executing on, what she needs to execute on, and what others on the team need to be working on. I use that big list of the big deliverables to then break it down each day as I move forward in my week using the productivity planner. Now we have Hebrew Don who asked, have you begun making plans for traveling the world or traveling and working remotely yet? Yes, as of last night, I have purchased my Europe ticket. I will be leaving on May 9th. On May 6th, I believe, right before the trip to Europe, I will be going to New York to do an interview for a really exciting podcast that I have really looked forward to being on. And then I head out from New York straight to London. I have a one-way ticket. I don't know when I'm going to return. I'm guessing I'll come back sometime in June or July, I guess. I don't know. I'm going to see how it goes. I have my friend renting my house while I'm gone. And then I also have Ellie being watched by our neighbor. So because they're both very flexible and awesome about the timing of this, I've decided it's way less stressful for me to just go and figure it out and return when I feel like it than it is to break down every single little trip or travel that I might have and try to plan it all now. The sheer overwhelm they would come with trying to figure it all out now was preventing me from even doing it. It wasn't until I realized I just need to buy a ticket and go out there and figure it out that I was willing to actually go make this a reality. The other fun thing is my friend Diana is going to come with me for the first four or five days of the trip, and I'll have her to kind of get my sea legs about me, if you will, my travel legs. I'll spend time with her doing fun things in London. Then she's going to leave and come back to Ann Arbor. I will then stay on from there and go wherever the wind blows me. Cannot wait to take you guys along with me through the vlog as well. The plans for traveling the world begin May 9th. Next up, we have EC89. Where do you see your business in the next few years? What is your ideal vision for The Lively Show? I know you mentioned you're working hard now to slow down a bit later. In the past, I have been much more interested in figuring out what I think the future is going to look like. And right now, I truly have to say, I feel like I am living that vision that I have set for myself in so many ways. Though when I was 22 and set out the vision to want to have a television show and help people worldwide, I thought it had to look like Martha Stewart and Oprah Winfrey. But in the last, what has this been, like the last 10 years, I've realized that that paradigm, that way of doing things is not necessarily the only way, first of all, to do it, and not necessarily the way that in context to today's technology is the way that I would even like to do it. So who knows if it will ever go to the mainstream media. I'm not really fixating on that. I'm just truly loving and enjoying where I'm at and listening to my intuition every step of the way so that my intuition takes me to the next right step. So I don't have an ideal vision. I am speaking to my heroes, quite honestly, here on the show, like Brene Brown and Liz Gilbert, I am so grateful also to be, you know, speaking with people that just have fascinating stories that may not even be that well known, but just the ability to have these deep conversations and share them with you guys 
that's it. Like I'm getting the joy and fulfillment, though the shape of this may evolve. I'm just so grateful that what I set out to do is actually happening. Am I helping people? Yes. Am I talking to the guests on the subjects that mean a lot to me? Yes. It's really, really amazing. (laughs) I just have to say my ideal vision is pretty much where I'm at. I also could see myself traveling worldwide to see you guys in person more. I also could see sharing the stage with a partner. I would love to go out there and share this work, not just as a solo person or with someone that supports me from behind the scenes, but to see if I can find a partner that can go out there and share this message with me so that we can touch even more lives together. Of course, I don't know if that'll happen. So that'll be an interesting one for us all to kind of see what really does unfold there. But that's what I'm working on. And as far as working hard now to slow down a bit later, I'm really enjoying what I'm doing. I definitely learned to take a step back when I need to. I'm working hard at the same time because I don't have a family or children. So I'm thinking I'm just learning how to play with the different duality of creating space and taking action and going back and forth between those two energies as much as I need. Next up, we have S.E. Meingar, who asked, I'm interested in learning more about intuition catalysts for those in more location-specific jobs. So basically what you're asking for is, what do we do with this intuition catalyst if you have a location-specific job? The answer is the same as if you don't have a location-specific job. Intuition catalysts, what is that, you might be asking. Let's say your ego really wants to know what's gonna happen next in your career. By next, I mean not like, tomorrow, but what's going to happen this fall or next year, or when are you going to leave this job and do the next one? We don't need to know the answer to that in order to have peace in this present moment. Our ego just thinks we do. So when that happens, we can try to force our intuition to give us an insight or direction sooner than we might actually need it to have peace right now. And in those cases, I believe that it's time for us to just relax, enjoy where we are, get what we want and can grow and learn from this current situation. And while we're enjoying and learning and growing in this current situation, keep our eye open for a catalyst, which is a person, an opportunity, or a situation to appear in our daily life that presents a new possibility for us that helps us get that clarity and that next right step. So If you're in the place and your ego wants to know, but your intuition is not giving it to you, keep an eye open and just enjoy where you're at right now. There is nowhere else to be. Keep your eye open. And as you go, look for that catalyst. It's going to give you that direction that's going to say it's time to go somewhere new now. I feel like when I was looking back on the relationship and the fact that we ended, there was huge catalyst. I didn't know that that was coming, but I'm really glad I fully enjoyed my life every step of the way to that point. And sometimes, I'll be honest, I did wonder what was going on. I'm sure everyone has those situations in some part of their lives where they want to know, is this going to change or is that going to shift or whatever? How much time are we just wasting the present moment for something that is going to become super clear in the future. And if we look back on it, we're like, wow, I really wasted a lot of energy not focusing and enjoying where I'm at, just trying to get to the next thing. But the truth is every moment of our lives is experienced in the now. So keep your eyes open. Don't, you know, numb. Don't think of yourself as putting your head in the sand, but also don't stress out when you are doing everything you can do and you're keeping your eyes open and you're fully engaged in the present moment. That is enough. 
Now let's move on to Division Claudia. She said, hi, Jess. Love you and your show so, so much. What do you think about minimalism? Living a more meaningful life by reducing what you own to items that you love. I love minimalism. If you guys don't know this, maybe some of you don't know, my original blog title was not JessLively.com. It was Make Under My Life. Instead of Makeover, it was Make Under because Extreme Makeover was the number one show on television when I was in college. And I realized after hearing a story about Michelangelo creating the statue of David, and when people asked him how he created this statue, he said it was very simple to create the statue of David, even though everyone thought it was impossible to do out of just a piece of stone. He said it was very simple. All he needed to do was remove the layers of the stone that were not David. He saw David within the stone. All he needed to do was remove what was not David, and therefore David appeared. He didn't create David. David was always there all along. That story helped me realize that there is a shift in the way we're approaching our lives that was not being spoken about, especially during this extreme makeover era that was happening back in 2006, 2007. So I decided to figure out what that Michelangelo way of living was, what that actually looked like. And I started specifically with our possessions. So in many ways, though I don't think of myself now as a minimalist really at all, I could say that I have definitely studied and had a lot of the principles that go along with minimalism without the term minimalism. Personally, when I think of the term minimalism, what comes to mind is how many things someone owns and how ridiculously small can we make that number? Not that that is what minimalism means, but just in my head, that's kind of where I go with it. That's where I kind of think about is like, oh, I need to have like a ridiculously small amount of stuff in order to be called or considered a minimalist. So I'm not really attached too much to that concept of minimalism, but I am very, very tied to the idea of having what fits our values and letting go of what things do not serve our values. So keeping the things that are David in our lives, the things that are what we most want to live, but also removing everything that's not David in our lives. So I don't really think that there's a specific number I'm trying to hit. I definitely have more stuff than many people who would maybe be considered minimalists. And that doesn't bother me one bit. I just enjoy what I have. And I let things go by either recycling, by giving them to someone else, or just doing whatever I can to give the items that I no longer need user love a good and useful home. Going forward, of course, because of the life-changing magic of tidying up and things like the documentary, The True Cost, I've also become very, very aware of the purchases that I make and how those items impact the world and my own happiness. I'm also very deliberate when it comes to purchasing new things. Next up, we have Lisa Valinsky, who said, I'd love to hear more about your college extracurricular life. What were you involved in outside of classes? This is a really fun question, Lisa. Thank you for asking it. Uh, number one, the big thing that came to mind, and I think I, you guys might know this about me, I joined the men's crew team my first year of college. I did not bring my jewelry supplies. I was sick of being known as the jewelry girl back in high school, selling this, you know, the jewelry to, that I made to stores across the country and to teachers and students and principals and all that kind of stuff. That was my shtick back in the day. And I really wanted to get away from that persona the first year. So I joined the men's crew team, which I thought was pretty much the opposite <laughs> end of the spectrum. I was a coxswain on the team, for those who are maybe wondering. I was not a male rower. 
but I was a female coxswain, which is the person at the end of the boat that is steering and directing the men that are rowing or women if you're on the women's team. It was really fun. It was a walk-on sport. That's what I did. I really enjoyed it. I grew up as someone who did four sports in high school. So I was very athletic and very active when it comes to my extracurriculars like cross country, track, basketball, and soccer. So it made sense for me to try to find a sport that I could be involved in. Then I did bring the jewelry back my sophomore junior and senior year. So then Jess LC became the way I made my money throughout the last three years as a part-time job. And I was an RA, which is the resident advisor. So I lived in the dorms all four years. My junior and senior year, I was the RA for my floor in East Quad. Now we have Kate's Moore who asked, what are your current top five sources of inspiration? like your favorite blogs, books, podcasts, TV shows, and people. This is a fun one. I have thought about it. And I would say right now, the subject of feminine energy is fascinating to me. So I'm looking at finding all the books and resources I can learn about it. Also, we have Gary Vaynerchuk, who is amazing as far as when it comes to all things online business and hustle. I'm interviewing him for the show coming up. So he's been someone I've been really doing a lot of introspection about and consuming a lot of his content lately. We also have Matthew Hussey, who was just on the show last week. He and his work for dating and just personal development as a whole has been a really great source of inspiration for me. And then Smart Passive Income is one of my favorite, or basically it is my favorite when it comes to all things business advice. And actually, I can't believe I'm going to be on the show soon. I think it's going to be the end of March. So stay tuned for that. And last but not least, my new favorite person to learn from is Dane Maxwell. I'm hoping to have him on the show soon. So you will hopefully hear more about Dane in the months to come. Next up, Miss Jane Sarah said, how to find time and motivation to write a book. I've always wanted to be a writer, but I choose lazing in front of the TV over writing again and again. Then I hate myself for it. Miss Jane Sarah, thank you for this question. I think that the answer for this is not about forcing yourself to the act of writing first. I think right now the first thing to do is to connect to your intuition and figure out what is going on here. There is a lot of resistance, but there's also this strong call. We need to get clear on the why of your writing before we get into focusing on the how. So I would suggest that you write to your intuition and the way to do that I have found most effective. You can find at jesslively.com slash intuition. Start writing to your intuition about this resistance. Why are you choosing to watch TV? What is so scary about this for you? What's going on here? Try to get to that deeper core than what you currently understand about the situation. Because I think when you can see this from a greater vantage point that your intuition will allow you to access, you'll be able to understand this motivation that ego is creating to avoiding it. And ultimately, I think by having this connection to this deeper why and understanding the resistance in a deeper way, you're going to be able to then dissolve these blocks that are happening for you rather than just trying to force your way from the ego to writing more because the ego is actually the same part that's right now stopping you from writing in the first place. Now we have KK Dreger who said, can you discuss anxiety and if and how you've ever struggled with it? Yes, I have definitely experienced anxiety. I don't know if anxiety and panic attacks are considered the same thing, but I can say I definitely had panic attacks when I was starting Jess LC full-time right after I graduated college. So I definitely had a lot of extreme attacks at that time. 
worrying about cash flow and whether things were going to work. The recession happened very quickly after I started the business. So there was that too. And even just in general, I think I have had a stronger pull towards anxious tendencies years ago in my 20s. I would say it's less now. And I was trying to figure out why I experience it less currently. And here are the things that I think, and I don't know that these are all the answers because I don't know that it's any one thing, but I think it's accumulation of maturity and also deepening my own connection to myself through personal growth. And all of the years that I've been focusing on developing and understanding myself, meditation, and the advisors that I have. So I think that working with people like a therapist or a coach has been hugely helpful for when I do have anxiety to talk about it, to see it from their vantage point, to get their resources and tools. Meditation itself has helped me to understand the ego and to have greater compassion for it, which is the part that is creating that perceived anxiety. And then, like I said, just generally being on this path of learning how to deepen my connection and enhance the quality of my life through the thoughts that I think and the actions that I take and connecting with my intuition, those are all things that I think have combined, merged in a way that has now created less anxiety in my life. It still happens, but I'm now better prepared through all of these tools as well to handle it. I think ultimately, the more and more I've been able to understand the power of the intuition and tap into that, the more and more the anxiety doesn't trip me up anymore. Now we have two happy thoughts who asked, do you have any pointers for developing self-esteem? I love this question and it is so perfect for what I am working on right now that I'll be sharing with you at the end of the month and in April. So as you guys know, I've been working on a book and there's an exciting other piece to that work that I'm gonna be sharing with you soon. I believe self-esteem is not worth developing because I think to me it is tied to worth as a whole, self-worth. And I do not think that self-esteem or self-worth is the point. I don't think that you need to be thinking about self-esteem at all. I think that our society is used to thinking in that way, but I don't think it's about developing a sense of value for yourself based on assigning attributes like you achieved X or you did Y. I don't think that that's really useful. And I'll explain more about this coming up in the weeks to come. Now we have Mary Ann Wetler. What's your number one moneymaker and is it the thing you enjoy the most? The number one moneymaker is Life With Intention Online, my online class, which you can check out at lifewithintentiononline.com. It's my online course I open twice a year and it is fantastic. It is the reason that you guys are hearing the show. You guys get little sprinkles. I like, I like to think of them as sprinkles on the donut, but the real donut, the real work that I do, the real transformations that people have in their lives comes through life with intention online and using this approach in their lives from closet to career. So we go through possessions, personal habits, relationship, and career. You rebuild how you approach all of those areas of your life from the ground up so that you experience peace, joy, and fulfillment every step along the way while you're taking action, which is so opposite of how traditional methods of success are taught. And it is truly amazing and life-changing. I love doing that class. I do love the coaching hours in that class so much. It is so fantastic to get to work with those people who come in the coaching calls and then record those for the coaching uh, call recordings for everyone else in the class to enjoy and experience as well. 
And I do love the show as well. And the vlog is great too. I love it all. But the biggest thing is Life with Intention Online. And I would say, yes, it is definitely the impact that I am most excited about making in the world because it is so transformative for everyone that's used it in their lives. Next up, we have Yizus who asked, what are some things you really like to splurge on? Going out to eat is one of my favorite things to splurge on. I also spend some money or splurging money, if you will, on my eyelashes, my eyelash extensions, which has been a fun thing in the last few months. I will also spend more money than you quote unquote need to for Smith & Colt nail polish. It's five free and I just really love the branding, the colors, and the product itself is fantastic. So I'd say that's definitely a splurge that I love to do for my at-home manicures. And I think I probably splurge more than some people do on their home. I love interior design so much, and that's an easy place for me to drop some cash, especially if I find a really beautiful, one-of-a-kind vintage piece. Oh, that's my favorite. Now we have BL Williams 88 How do you practice self-care? What recommendations do you have for women just starting to cultivate a self-care practice? This is an interesting question, and I'll say that I don't personally focus on self-care. As you guys heard me talk about in the pleasure episodes with Elisa Vitti, I find self-care as something I quote-unquote should or have to do instead of the joy that I get from cultivating pleasure in my life in every moment. So I don't think about things that are part of a self-care practice. I think about what's going to bring me pleasure right now. Maybe it's going to be making a beautiful cup of tea. Maybe it'll be coloring while watching a murder mystery or wearing a cozy sweater or my favorite jewelry. That kind of stuff that I do and when I am keenly aware of it, when I'm thinking, how can I in this moment receive pleasure from my senses, my five senses, that's where I want to keep my eye and I want to keep my focus. And ultimately, I think those things could be considered self-care, but they don't, I don't know. I don't think of it as a self-care practice. To me, that feels like a bunch of shoulds. I feel like I should do a bubble bath, etc. Not interested in the shoulds in my life, but I am interested in the pleasures in my life. So if you want to learn more about that, You can check out the Elisa Vitti Pleasure episodes to get all the details on exactly what I'm talking about. Now we have the Business of Blooming who asked, how do you find so many great people to interview and share with your audience? This is kind of an interesting question. I had to kind of break it down because I guess I do it so much that I am just kind of feel like I'm in it. I'm not really observing what are the tactics I'm using. I've just been, first of all, I guess, blogging for six or seven years now and just being in this space. Secondly, interviewing now for two years has even introduced me to a ton of new people every single week, meeting new people and then asking them for suggestions. The reading that I do online and offline is helpful. Listening to other podcasts with guests that I might want to have on the show or subjects, friend suggestions, and the submissions for The Lively Show, which I mentioned earlier in this episode. Those are all ways that I find great people to interview. Now we have Jack Corcoran who said, I love my work in education, but I'm not making much money. My brother works in finance and gets bonuses twice a year, totaling tens of thousands of dollars. I'm really jealous of his income and I don't like that at all about myself. Any suggestions for how to deal? I love this question, Jack, and I'm really glad you asked it. Here's my thoughts on this. Imagine yourself surrounded by infinite grace for the part of you that feels jealous that this universe can contain all that is wonderful about you and all this jealousy that you might be feeling, 
infinite grace can easily contain the wonderful and this feeling of jealousy. In my own life, when I've behaved in ways that I haven't enjoyed it, and I want to shame or judge myself for those feelings, what has helped me is to recognize there's infinite grace for all that I enjoy about myself and all of the things that I have shame or feel bad about myself. By doing that and really imagining that I can be both, I can feel jealous right now, and I can have all these wonderful attributes as well, and that I don't have to divorce myself from either side of that equation, that duality in my life can exist, is the first step to accepting that it's happening in my life without fighting it. Once I'm there, and you are there, you can also allow yourself to feel the jealousy and let the emotion pass. Perhaps this feeling of jealousy, instead of pushing it away, pushing it down into the recesses of our minds, what if instead we were allowing ourselves to fully feel it and let it pass like a thunderstorm? So instead of avoiding the thunderstorm by driving away and the clouds are kind of in the rearview mirror, but always looming behind us in the back of our heads, what if we just sat, let the storm come and then let it pass? We can think that we're going to get so consumed with the jealousy, but maybe it's just something that needs to be experienced and moved through. I would give that a try. And then after the feeling has passed, once you've kind of gotten to the end of that emotion, I would try to tap into your own values, your uppercase V values for your career. Why are you doing what you're doing? It's obviously not for tens of thousands of dollars and bonuses, but there probably is some reason that you are doing what you're doing. Once you've let the feelings pass, I would try to tap into your own values because you're going to get your joy and fulfillment from living your values. The ego might have jealousy. It might have this temporary uncomfortable feeling because he's getting this outcome that you're not getting. But if you were, let's just say, to take a position that would give you tens of thousands of dollars in bonus, but not aligned with your values, you would have a temporary sense of feeling of goodness, but you'd have a lasting feeling of discomfort and you would not have joy and fulfillment. So I would also try after you've passed the emotion, after you've surrounded yourself with infinite grace for feeling it, to then, once you've done those things, tap into your own values for your career so you can have that joy and fulfillment right now. It's not about him having the money. It's totally irrelevant. It's only about your experience of what you make that money mean to you and your situation that is troubling. But once we surround that feeling of jealousy with infinite grace, so we can live with both of those experiences in our lives, we're able to feel the jealousy and let it pass through us, then we can go, okay, it's time to focus on me and where I'm at and what I'm doing to live my own values. And maybe there is possibly, though I don't think this is necessarily the case. It could be that you also value security or stability or abundance. I don't know what the term might be for you, but you may have a hidden value that for you, you want to have more security financially in your life or more of whatever he's got. That could be an indication that there is something in your own career you could tap into and get joy and fulfillment from. You just want to make sure it's coming from the uppercase V values. Again, all that kind of work we do at Life With Intention online. So if you want to know more about that whole process, it might be something to look into for yourself. Now we have Fung Bean who said, how do you stop work from causing you stress when you're done working for the day or week? For instance, I get work emails to my phone at nights and on weekends, or I'm constantly thinking about an upcoming project. So I try to consciously not think about it, but then it surfaces in my dreams. Any tips to deal with this? 
there have been times in my career when I was checking email on nights and weekends regularly that I was not enjoying my career very much. And I thought that I was only working 40 to 50 hours a week, but the reality was my email was my paycheck. So every time I was looking in my email at all, there was a possibility to be thinking about work, business, and money or paycheck. And I realized that every time I look in my inbox, I'm working. Every moment of my week is a time where I could be checking my email, then I am always working. And even if I don't answer that email on a Saturday, I'll still think about it for 20 minutes. So for me, I decided to stop checking email on nights and weekends and make that a rule for myself, a boundary that was there to protect myself from constantly working. And things got a lot better. So I would suggest that for yourself. If you're in a situation where people expect you to check your email on nights and weekends, I would challenge that assumption by talking to your boss, telling them very empathetically and compassionately about where you're at and how this is affecting you and asking for their guidance on how to handle this. Obviously, I don't know what your situation is and what their response would be, but I think often we think that we have to do something because someone else is doing something. But I would love to see you test that assumption by actually speaking to someone about whether this is the reality that you really have to have or if it's a limiting belief. So if possible, I would try to suggest stopping the whole email checking on nights and weekends in general and see if you can make that a policy for yourself. Now we have Kate Doc 2 who said, I'd be interested in hearing about any of the author's principles and religions that have contributed to your faith and spiritual foundation. I think most of you guys probably know I'm not any one specific genre of belief or faith. (laughs) I like to say that I'm either all of it or none of it, but I will not just choose one. So I like to say I will meet you at crystals or Catholicism. I love it all. Personally, I think they all are teaching universal truths at their core. They just have different ways and vehicles and details that surround it. So I love getting advice and input from all religions and all faiths and all spiritualities that I believe lift me up and help me connect to what's universally true within myself. I was raised Catholic specifically, and that was a big part of my life when I was younger. And then after college, when I was really able to figure out what was true for me, I love Christianity with people like Anthony DeMello. There's just so many wonderful Christians out there, but that's, like I said, not the only thing at all. I also enjoy A Course in Miracles. You guys may know Course in Miracles teachers like Marianne Williamson or Gabby Bernstein who teach from that text. I also love the things that you learn in things like yoga class. I've studied the Bhagavad Gita. I love Eckhart Tolle and Byron Katie. Those are just some of the sources that came to mind, but ultimately my intuition is my source when it comes to what I find to be most true. But I think that all of these that I just shared speak to how to tap into your intuition in their own different ways with different labels and terms. Thank you for asking that question. Next up, we have Gret Limp. How do you find the strength, motivation, or power to go on on days when you just do not want to do even the smallest tasks? And due to that feeling, tasks pile up and the job just gets even bigger and you get even more frustrated. I love this question. How often do we find that we avoid things and then it just all builds up? We can build momentum in either direction. So we can build momentum in taking action on something that is aligned with our values and that action gets easier because the momentum of doing it regularly or daily gets easier. But the same is also true when we don't do things. So if we're not working out, we get really good at not working out. The momentum to not work out for two weeks builds just as much as the momentum of working out for two weeks builds. So when that happens, it is easy to feel super frustrated because we've just 
built this momentum and in a direction that's not aligned with our values. Instead of shaming ourselves, instead of feeling bad about it, which is, I think, what the ego initially wants to do, I would suggest circumventing all of that drama by connecting to your intuition first. Take some time to write, journal, or meditate and connect to the juice that comes from the intuition. JessLively.com slash intuition is where you can learn how to do that writing exercise. By connecting to your intuition first, you're going to tap into the source within you that's going to tell you what thing you really do need to be doing because maybe you're just shooting all over yourself. Maybe you're putting a bunch of shoulds on what you need to do when the truth is your intuition doesn't even think it's necessary in the first place. It'll also help you see what is that fear? What is that scared feeling or what is that motivating to not take action coming from so you can see it in a greater way? And I will tell you, Nine times out of 10, when I write to my intuition about why am I so upset about blank, it will say, because you're scared. And then I'll respond back in the writing exercise and say, why am I scared? And the answer that I find to why am I scared from my intuition is always the part that I couldn't see before. That answer is where I start to go, oh, I had no idea I was operating under this assumption or this fear. And that has been what through continued questioning, will become the clarity that I need so that I can understand what's going on, see it in a new way, and keep taking action. Basically, what I'm saying by checking into your intuition is putting gas in the car before you start slamming down on the pedal. So if you didn't check in with your intuition, you just try to keep focusing on moving the car without checking into your intuition, what you're basically doing is slamming down on the gas pedal when there's no gas in the car. It's not gonna move. You can slam as hard as you want. You can keep trying to shame yourself into action. But if you don't put the gas in the car, and I believe the gas that's truly motivating, that's truly inspiring, that truly aligns with the best good for ourselves, the joy, juice, and fulfillment we're looking for comes from the intuition. We need to have that energy because then we can take action from a place of actual power. Next up, we have Nessie Liu. Do you ever find that you've fallen off the wagon with your intentions, whether for a day or a bit longer, and how do you get back to them, especially without beating yourself up? Recently, I've really been thinking a lot about what it takes to get back into the values and why I'm able to, often so much easier than some other people that have gone through life with intention or other people that are just getting started in this work. And I'm starting to realize that this infinite grace, this ability to have compassion and empathy for ourselves, I believe is the first step to getting back into the values. So if you find yourself falling out of the values, and I do this all the time, multiple times a day, instead of trying to push myself to get back in alignment with it right away, I believe the first thing we need to do is have infinite grace, compassion, and empathy for the fact that we fell out in the first place. Because if we're not, if we're trying to just catch ourselves not doing it and then forcing ourselves back in without this gentleness, without this shift to be okay with the fact that we were out of it, then I think we're just trying to get back into it from an ego standpoint. We have to forgive ourselves if the ego has any unforgiveness around the fact that we fell out. And I think that we do that first by having infinite grace or some version of that. By doing that, we're actually then shifting, we're handing this situation away from the ego back into the intuition's power. And then from this place of grace, we're able to then get back into the stance, the real true embodiment of that value given our current circumstances. The first step is not to try to rush back into 
living the values right away, but to forgive ourselves for the fact that we ever fell out of it and have complete peace about the fact that we weren't into it. And then from that peaceful place, because we're okay with the fact that we fell out, we are invited to get back in. Now we have Mariella Mediana B who said, after all the time you invest in your jewelry brand, why did you decide to close the shop? Did you already have a backup plan? You can hear more about this at jesslively.com slash jesslively. After all the time I invested in the jewelry brand, I think it was 13 or 14 years, why did I decide to close up shop? Quite simply, my intuition told me to while I was blow drying my hair. That's the truth. There's kind of more to that story, but I will say my intuition told me to. I felt a huge wave of relief. It was a self-employed day job, if you will. It was the thing I used to support myself and pay the bills as I started to do the work that I now do. That's why I did it when my intuition told me to end it. Did I already have a backup plan? Yes, I was simultaneously to the jewelry business by the point that I closed it, also blogging and business coaching. And that income for about six weeks was overlapping with the jewelry income and earning the same amount. So I felt comfortable taking the leap from one to the next, from jewelry to blogging and coaching. It was just a bridge to get me to where I am today. So that's why I closed it. I didn't look at it as a waste of time that I invested. I looked at it as a huge blessing that served me. I learned so much about design, product development, selling, working with people, serving people, building a team. There's so much wonderfulness that I got from that self-employed day job. And I think that that is a beautiful season in my life I'm really grateful for. And I'm also glad that I didn't hold on to it longer than the moment that my intuition told me to let go. K.L. Schaefer asked, I would love to know how you deal with negative emotions like insecurity, anger, jealousy, sadness, etc. You seem like such a positive person. I'd love to learn if you practice any techniques or strategies for dealing with the onset of negative emotions and not letting them disrupt your positive outlook. Thank you. I think number one that's been helpful is affect labeling, which is a concept I learned from Conscious Uncoupling, the book. So affect labeling is about recognizing in every moment and labeling the emotion that you're feeling. Like right now I'm feeling irritated or I'm feeling frustrated. Whatever it is, learning to label the emotion helps you to contain the emotion so it's not overwhelming you. So you can see that you're feeling it allow yourself to feel it, but also not feel like it's bigger than you. When you could put the label on it, you can have some form of disconnection, just big enough, that space just big enough so that you can see yourself having it. Next is then to let that feeling be felt. So then to go, all right, let me feel this. This is what I'm feeling. Let it pass through by going into it. This doesn't mean we continue to have the same thoughts around it. I think if we keep thinking the same thought that created the emotion, then we're building a trench and we're staying entrenched in that emotion because we're validating with the thought that caused it in the first place. This is not about thinking the same thought that had that emotion, but just allowing yourself to feel the emotion that was probably caused by the thought and then letting it pass. After you've had that emotion pass, like I said earlier with this jealousy example, flowing with infinite grace for the fact that you just had that experience and that emotion has just passed through you. And then I would look to connect to new thoughts that are more empowering. There's a great episode we recently had with Brooke Castillo that will explain this more. And you can listen at jesslively.com slash Brooke Castillo too. 
Now we have this eyewear. She says, I'd love to hear more about how to have a healthy relationship with personal development. How do you grow yourself as a person, but not get stuck in that I need to be fixed or better mindset? The place that is motivating us to take action could be from the ego or the intuition. So we can come from the intuition. And I think for me, that's fueled by joy and possibility and this lightness to it. That's not saying that I'm bad where I'm at now. I am where I'm at. And that is enough. I have nowhere else to be. I have nothing else to prove. But there is this joy and possibility to tap into new things that may help me in new ways. And I just want to go explore and see what that's like and play in the world. That's what fuels me when it comes to personal development when I'm in a good place. When I'm not in a good place, like you said, this feeling of needing to be better or fixed pops up. And that judgment and shame that I am not good enough where I'm at and I have to change myself to be better, that idea of trying to prove your self-esteem or self-worth comes from the ego. Tapping in and connecting to your intuition as often as possible is going to help you get rooted in that joy and possibility framework much more effectively than trying to stay stuck in the energy of the ego and just forcing your way out. Allowing things to flow is so fun. It's so fun when you're not trying to prove you're you're any better. You're just trying to explore what might be possible. Feels so fun and liberating and light compared to the heavy weight or heavy cross to bear. We're trying to force ourselves to be better. And last but not least, we have In Bloom Flower Co. who asked, If you could have dinner with any three people, dead or alive, who would they be? Ben Franklin, Oprah Winfrey, and Eckhart Tolle. And before I share who's coming up this Thursday on the show, we're going to speak with Home Chef Executive Chef Jimmy Madla about today's sponsor, HomeChef.com. Jimmy, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you. Let's talk a little bit about yourself. How did you get to Home Chef and become the executive chef? Well, you know, I came out of a restaurant background I owned and operated my own restaurant in Chicago for 12 years. They took my building down, and I was in the process of looking for a new restaurant space. And I just came across Home Chef, and I saw they were looking for some recipe writers. I came on in, and uh, within six months, I was uh, heading the department and and not looking back. It's It's a great company to work for. So how does Home Chef work? Well, Home Chef is part of what's the meal kit market. Customers come online to our our site and they can put in their preferences, whether they prefer uh, vegetarian, low-cal, low-carb, gluten-free. Their basket gets populated with dishes every week and they are sent the measured ingredients to their home and they cook the meals at home but uh, it saves them the time of uh, going to the um, grocery store, measuring and purchasing all these ingredients, and then you get a nice recipe card to go along with it as well. And how is it different from other meal prep companies? It's just the sheer variety of meals that we offer. I think we offer the most flexibility in terms of choosing these parameters that you want your, your meal box to come in. So you can choose low-calorie, low-carb, gluten-free. We're even partnering with Zumba now for some Zumba meals. You're not going to find that kind of selection in the other meal kit markets. And also, you know, I do believe that our, our meals do taste better than everyone else's. 
And how do you guys create the meal options each week? Because there's so many different varieties, as you just mentioned. The whole culinary department sits down and we look at what meals we're going to do. So right now we're about two months out. So the meals that I'm creating today won't go live for another couple of months. So that's, that means that I'm working on spring stuff now. We'll kind of set a menu in the future and we'll try to populate all the sections that we need to fill for that menu. So you know, we'll get some, you know, some indulgent choices in there, which are no restrictions meals. We'll do a vegetarian, a low carb, a Zumba, what we call trifectas, which are low cal, low carb, and gluten-free. We'll make some of those selections. The chefs will get assigned each of these meals. The chefs get to work from home one day a week, and we get to play with food at home, start the dish there. We write the recipes. From there, it goes on to independent testers. So we have independent testers who don't work here, but we send them the ingredients. And these testers vary in... um, culinary skills. We have testers that don't have a lot of cooking skill or a lot of experience, and we have some that are food bloggers and have a lot of experience. And that way we send the recipes to them, we get feedback from those testers, and then we can tweak the meal accordingly. The chef gets another pass at it. If it makes it through all those screens, then it gets populated onto a menu. And for anyone who wants to give Home Chef a try and get a free meal for two with your first purchase, so that's pretty much a no-brainer, guys, you get your first meal for free with your first purchase by going to homechef.com backslash lively and entering the code lively at checkout. Jimmy, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you very much, Jess. And now for a sneak peek. This Thursday on the show, we have Micah May, the CEO and founder of MayDesigns.com. She is a powerful businesswoman based out of Austin, Texas, and a mother of three. We're going to have a fascinating discussion about her journey to get to where she is now with her multi-million dollar business, as well as the newest topic I am so excited to dive into more here on the show and in my work, all about the masculine and feminine energies. Until then, may something wonderful happen to you today.